Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon, and today I'm joined by a new colleague of mine, Carol Wood. Carol's also an ERISA attorney and recently joined NFP. We're so excited to have her. She has uh, moved down from New York, down here to Austin, Texas, which is where uh, we broadcast from, and we're just stoked to have her with us. She is going to be a major contributor to our uh, NFP benefits compliance team and a big asset to our employer clients. So welcome, Carol. We're glad to have you. Thank you, Chase, for the introduction. It's really great to be here. We've recently seen such a huge uptick in questions relating to employees taking leaves of absence from their employer. Um, Those questions range all across the spectrum, from how long should we keep them on benefits to whether or not the employer can terminate the employment. Um, With respect to COBRA, you know, should it be offered? You know, how should the employer collect premiums? So just all over the board. Adding to that complexity are the new laws at the state level relating to paid family leave and sick leave. So that's where our focus is really going to be today. What are those paid family leave or sick law rules at a high level? Right. So good points. Let's clarify what we're talking about here when we say paid family and medical leave laws or or paid sick leave. Um, So first, there's federal FMLA, right? That's the federal or nationwide right for an employee to take time away from uh, from work for certain situations. Those are uh, fairly high level. Lots of employers are aware of these, but uh, the employee or an employee's family member has a serious health condition or for birth, adoption, or fostering a new child. Um, That's not an exhaustive list, list, but the general idea And so while away, the employee has certain rights. The employer can't do certain things. And those rights include job protection, uh, first and foremost. The employer uh, can't fire them just because they're away from work if it's for one of these reasons and they otherwise qualify. Uh, Those rights also include benefits continuation. The employer has to continue benefits through the leave. Uh, FMLA applies only to employers with 50 or more employees. And employees have to meet certain service requirements That's usually 1,250 hours over the past 12 months. So while expansive, FMLA has limitations. And its biggest limitation, at least from an employee perspective, is that it's unpaid leave. There's no requirement there um, for the employer to pay this employee while they're out on an FMLA leave. So if I'm an employee, I can take a leave with the peace of mind that I'll have benefits and I'm not going to get fired but I don't necessarily have income during that leave. So that's where some of these state leave protections are coming in. Most of them are not only a protection to take the leave, but they're also introducing some type of wage replacement while the employee is out. So that's really the trend. We're not there yet at a federal level. No federal law requires employers to provide paid leave for any reason, but states and even localities, cities and counties Um, are getting in the fray in a big way. They're enacting these paid family and medical leave laws or paid sick leave laws. The sick leave laws I mentioned, those are a bit more restrictive. Um, They're not as expansive as some of the paid family leave. The the sick leave laws are really just trying to make sure employees can accrue PTO time and that they can use that when they're sick. But the paid family leave and medical leave laws are more aimed at bigger life events and serious health conditions of the employee and their loved ones. 
I see. And, and these additional state protections, uh, they've really gained a lot of traction over the past few years, haven't they? Yeah, it's, it's basically been crazy town uh, for states on this issue over the past few years. Uh, we did podcast on this a few years ago. We were focusing on New York Paid Family Leave, or PFL. Um, that was just getting started. And so everyone in the Northeast or anyone really with a presence in New York uh, was losing their minds. New York PFL applies to employers with at least one employee in New York. That includes even remote workers in New York. Uh, but employers were struggling to understand their obligations, how to collect contributions, how to adjust their leave policies, how to provide notice to employees, and then how to work with carriers. Uh, for many employers, it was simply adding a rider to their disability uh, policies. New York requires employers to carry mandatory disability coverage or DBL coverage, and most employers can get their PFL coverage through that uh, unless they were self-insured, in which case they'd need to uh, explore other options. Uh, but even with that simple solution for actually getting the appropriate PFL coverage in New York, there were all these other questions that employers were asking. Now, we've, we've sort of worked through that in New York with most of our clients. There's still some outstanding issues and some challenges uh, on New York PFL, but most employers have gotten to a level where they're comfortable with it at this point, kind of two years in. But now we're seeing that same scrambling trend um, in, in other states. So, so New York was at the forefront, but um, as you mentioned, there, there are other states now. What are some, some of those other states? Yeah, so there were a few other states in play with paid family leave before New York, so they weren't necessarily the first, but that seemed to be one that sent everybody into a tizzy. Uh, but looking forward first since New York, um, other states have adopted their own versions of this. Just in the past year, uh, Massachusetts entered the fray in a big way. Um, theirs begins payroll collection this fall, even though benefits and leave rights don't begin until 2021. Um, on July 11th of this year, Oregon got into the game. Uh, theirs starts in 2023. Employees can take up to 12 weeks off for many of the same reasons as we've spoken about. Uh, Connecticut and Maine and Michigan have all recently enacted laws, or in the case of Michigan, they recently amended their law to provide new paid family leave protections. Uh, Washington got into the game in 2019. And then, as I mentioned, there were states that were in the game earlier uh, including California, which is always out there uh, with protections for their residents. They uh, have a, a massive list of rules you have to follow. Uh, Rhode Island and the District of Columbia. Aside from the applicability of these state laws, um, mo most of which I understand don't have a size requirement, you know, what are the other differences from FMLA or even among the states themselves with regard to the uh, specific reasons that employee can take the leave? Yeah, this is a great question, and this will illustrate some of the challenges. Uh, but first, all of the state laws are similar to FMLA in that they provide job protection, right? I mentioned that up front. The employer cannot generally fire someone while they're out on a leave for whatever the state-protected reason is. So that's fairly commonsensical at this point. Um, and in addition to that, most of the state laws include the same standards as FMLA, with regard to the reasons for leave. So those include uh, serious health conditions of the employee and the employee's family members, pregnancy and newborn or adopted or foster children, and some type of military leave protections for family members. 
Uh, but some go fur further for their reasons. For example, Oregon, uh, their law includes time off to address a domestic violence situation. Uh, New Jersey is similar. Employees can engage in certain activities related to a domestic or sexual violence situation uh, where they or their family member is the victim. So states might go further in the reasons that an employee can use uh, in taking a protected and paid leave. Other differences really relate to the duration of the protected leave and then the actual benefit amounts, the payment that the employee gets during the leave. On duration, most states for paid family medical leave are around 10 to 12 weeks now. That's sort of the new standard. Uh, for example, in New York, uh, they started at eight weeks actually back in 2018 when the law first took effect and they've increased it each year with the maximum being 12 weeks starting in 2021. Uh, Massachusetts, which also takes effect in 2021, they just went straight to 12 weeks, um, unless it's for an employee's own health condition, which could be up to 20 weeks, or a family member who is a covered service member can be up to 26 weeks. So you start to see some of these variances. Other states are similar, uh, but the actual duration may vary. And then the last thing I wanted to highlight, the administration of the protection and benefit may vary. Uh, for example, in some states, the employee applies directly to the state for the payment of the benefit, while in others, it goes through the employer or the carrier, depending on whether the employer is using a carrier to fulfill its obligations. So New York is a classic example there. I mentioned up front, these employers already have their DBL coverage or disability coverage. Through a carrier, the employer may have just tacked on the PFL coverage, and that's how the benefit would be administered. I see. Got it. Um, so those differences could easily complicate things for a multi-state employer, correct? I mean, now they yeah. have to track uh, different leave durations, different benefits, and so the administration becomes increasingly challenging. Right. Uh, well, what about funding for the benefits? You know, are employees paying out of pocket you know, for these state protections? Yeah, this is another great question, and it varies state to state. In, in some states, it's all employee-funded through payroll deductions, uh, payroll tax. Uh, New York PFL employers do not have to contribute anything toward premiums. It's all collected through this payroll tax. Um, in Massachusetts, though, it's a combination. Employers have to contribute a certain amount depending on their size and the types of employees they have. Uh, but employees are also contributing there. So different states have it structured different ways, um, but they generally fall into those two categories. Either the employee pays all uh, via the state payroll tax or their employers are contributing something. So it's worth working with payroll providers for employers to uh, work through those issues and make sure the appropriate um, withholding is applied. Now, employers can always pick up the employee's contribution. We've seen that with uh, clients all over. If the employer wants to help employees, there's nothing prohibiting that. It's usually not a huge dollar amount we're talking about for these contributions, um, but some employers like to be a little bit more generous, step in and cover the employee's portion. Interesting differences. So some state protections are, are more expansive. Uh, what about the idea of covered family members? Uh, does this also vary um, between FMLA and the state laws uh, or even among the states themselves? Uh, yes, Carol, I'm so glad you brought this up. FMLA and most of the states are pretty consistent, but there's some big differences. 
family member includes uh, the dependents that you generally think of with regard to health benefits, um, spouses and children. Most uh, go further at the state level to include the next closest relationship, right? Parents, grandparents, grandchildren, and siblings. Uh, some states go even further, though, start pulling in the in-laws, like, for example, a parent-in-law. Um, and some go even further and just say any person related by blood. And uh, then like in loco parentis under FMLA, most include any person that acted as a parent uh, employee that has a close relationship that it's equivalent to a family relationship. But there's one huge difference from FMLA. Almost all of the state laws pull in domestic partners as a close enough relationship for protection. So that means an employee can take time off to care for a domestic partner, even though federal law, and in some instances, the state itself, doesn't grant any protections to domestic partners otherwise. So here's why that's such a big deal. Lots of employers have decided that they're not going to offer benefits, including health insurance coverage, to domestic partners. There's nothing that requires the employer to offer domestic partner coverage. Um, at a federal level, there's a handful of states, including California, where a fully insured plan has to cover a domestic partner. Uh, but most states don't require it, and many employers have shifted away from offering domestic partner coverage, particularly once uh, same-sex marriage was recognized federally and by the states several years back. So lots of employers think to, themsel to themselves, I've decided not to offer uh, domestic partner coverage, therefore I've exited from having to deal with the domestic partner conversation. They don't want the hassle or the additional cost of that coverage, and they're just saying we're out uh, of that issue. But these state leave laws, they require the employer to get back into the domestic partner game. Now they have to provide an employee to take time off to care for the domestic partner who has a serious health condition. That means the employer has to notify the employee of those rights. They have to figure out how they will verify domestic partner status. They have to figure out how they will have the employee certify domestic partner status. So employers, at least those with employees in these PFL states or paid family and medical leave states, now have to get their act together and address domestic partners in leave policies, in their procedures, and think about how best to accommodate, certify, and document domestic partner status. That's interesting. So, I mean, it really is important that the employers have an understanding of these state leave laws. Where do they turn when they need assistance? Ha, yeah, this is, a, this is a great question. And we found that a lot of them come to their broker, right? We get these questions all the time now. And we want to help. We have lots of resources. We have HR consulting teams. And uh, we have domestic partner toolkits that help our clients at least walk step-by-step step through that domestic partner issue specifically. So yeah, brokers can help with some of these questions, um, but they get more intricate, they get more uh, employer-specific, and they get more complicated and outside of the benefits uh, scope. And so oftentimes there's limitations on how much advice, how much help, how much guidance a, a broker can give. So overall, employers should be talking to outside counsel to address and appropriately draft employer leave policies. Yes, of course, outside counsel, they're always in the best position to advise based on the individual employer strategies. Uh, and of course, leave considerations go well beyond just benefits, employment law, ADA, reasonable accommodation, labor laws. Right. 
Um, what are some of the benefit issues that employers should consider um, in their leave policies? Yeah, so lots going on in the in, in leave policies themselves. Um, we've talked a lot about some of the issues you mentioned about front, but uh, compliance with FMLA, compliance with these state laws where they apply, and then coordination of the leaves. So this is a huge challenge, but how does FMLA interact with the state law? Do they run concurrently? Um, for example, in New York, disability and PFL cannot run concurrently. So you have to coordinate those two depending on the leave situation. How does the short-term or long-term disability work or the employer's payroll uh, salary continuation program fit into that? At what point does an employee switch over from short-term to long-term disability? And, and at what point um, does that interact with or run concurrently with the state or FMLA leave? Um, how are you going to handle the premium payment for benefits during the leave? If it's FMLA, there are some rules. You basically have three choices to prepay, pay as you go, which is difficult if an employee doesn't have a paycheck, um, or collect in arrears when they return. So you have some options as an employer there, but you got to figure out how you're going to do it, and you've got to communicate it to employees. For non-FMLA leaves, the employer can really do what they want. They don't have to continue that benefit coverage uh, again, taking into account state laws that might be there, but assuming they're, uh, either FMLA or the state law doesn't uh, apply, employers can be more generous. They can extend coverage longer or they could cut it off after a few weeks. So they just need to work with their carrier. That's another huge consideration here. If it's a fully insured plan, talk with the carrier. Some carriers have restrictions on how long employees can be covered on a leave, they might have an actively at work provision that says, hey, if, if they're not actively at work 30 hours a week on average or 20 hours a week, whatever the threshold is, you're no longer eligible. You wouldn't want an employer in a situation where they're extending a leave and extending benefits through that leave where the carrier is not on board with that. Same thing for a self-insured plan. You'd just be having that conversation with the stop loss carrier. So wherever they land um, on their policies and their strategies, they have to develop a policy and stick with it. Uh, consistency is the key here. The employer leave policy should be consistent with the plan documents. Those should be consistent with the employee communications and the SPDs. And all of that should be consistent with the carrier policies, whether it's stop uh, loss for a self-insured or, or the fully insured carrier for a fully insured plan. Uh, there is certainly a lot of legal uh, coordination, administration issues to keep track of here. Um, but I agree, uh, you do need outside counsel to weigh in, particularly since so much of this you know, comes back to the individual employer's goals, their strategies with respect to employee relations and retention. Right. Uh, thanks so much, Chase, uh, for walking us through these complex issues. Very helpful to get a better overall outline. Yeah, well, this is just a huge issue now for all employers, uh, but particularly those with employees in states where uh, we talked about with these paid family and medical leave or sick leave. We didn't focus as much on the sick leave laws, but just keeping track of all of that. But hopefully this outlines um, many of the considerations um, and gets employers going in the right direction. Thank you, Carol, for joining today and making your uh, podcast debut. It's great to have you. And as we like to say on the podcast, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us.